Well, God does that with his children too. We have teachable moments. God has teachable moments in our lives. I believe COVID-19 is one of those teachable moments. And during this time, we are in God's school of instruction. Yes, school has been canceled for the time being. Our children, school children are at home, but uh, God hadn't canceled school. It's still in session. He's still trying to teach his children some things that he wants us to learn. And have you noticed that many of God's lessons come wrapped in difficulties, wrapped in suffering, wrapped in need. That's how God usually gets our attention. Does God have your attention? What are you learning during these times? What is God teaching you? Are we listening? Are we learning? Or are we resisting and ignoring and stuck in our own stubborn ways? Is this and can this be a time of growing for God's people? Instead of just enduring and instead of just surviving, is it a time when God's people can truly thrive? You know the answer to that question, don't you? It's yes. This is a time that God's people can grow and flourish and thrive, but it has to be in his power. So what are some of the lessons that God is teaching us? Some of the things that I know God's teaching me, I want to share with you this morning. And I think that Jonathan and Abigail sung it so well at the, just a moment ago. One of the things that I didn't even plan on saying this morning, they sang. One of the lessons God wants to teach us is that he's enough. He's enough. When we can't go and do like we've always gone and done, is he enough? You know, a lot of the songs we sing, we just sing them, and we're not necessarily thinking about what we're singing. Well, we need to think about that. These are times when these kinds of things that we sing and say a lot, we have to learn to live out. So here's the first thing I want to share with you this morning. The first lesson that God has been teaching us is the priority of love. If you have your Bibles or you can watch on the screen, at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to read verses 1 through 8. I think you'll find it quite familiar. You know this is the love chapter. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. 
Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And dropping down to verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The priority of love. These are times that call God's people to demonstrate great faith. We need faith. We need to demonstrate faith. We need to live out our faith. These are times that call for hope. Because they, you hear the news and you watch it uh, constantly sometimes and we just can get to feeling hopeless. We need hope. But you know what we need more than faith? You know what we need more than hope? You know what needs to be demonstrated even greater than faith and hope? You guessed it. It's right here in the scriptures. Love. Love. You see, love does not cancel or hide our faith. It has been... Some have thought that what churches are doing and not meeting is, is showing a lack of faith. But I would say that what to not do, kind of what we're doing, is would demonstrate a lack of love. Love doesn't cancel our faith. We're loving you, our people. We're loving our community by keeping our distance. There have been reports you've seen probably on the news or other outlets of churches who kind of ignored the, the suggestions and the request of their uh, community leaders not to meet, and, and they've met, and other, the whole church has been exposed, and people have died who are members of churches for meeting together. And that's not, to me, a, a demonstration of love. Love doesn't hide our faith. In fact, love magnifies our faith. James said it like this, that faith without works is dead. In James chapter 2 and verse 18, he says, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So one of the lessons that I'm learning is that as strong as I feel about the truth of God's word, as strong as I feel as a pastor about the gathering of God's people and that we as God's people should be together week after week after week, that is a part of my faith. And to not be able to gather wounds or seems somehow opposite of what I believe. But one of the things God has shown me is there, there's something even greater than faith. There's something even greater than hope, and, and that is love. 
love towards our fellow man. And we may not understand all of this, uh, what's going on, but I tell you, and, and how to respond and, and how to be the best example of Christ and faith in God that we can be. But I know one thing that everybody understands. Everybody understands love. The Greek word agape is the word here. James Packer says, it seems to be this word agape seems to have been virtually a Christian invention, a new word for a new thing. It's not phileo, brotherly love. It's not eros, romantic love. It's agape. It's, it's a new thing that was manifested and revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Agape draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. It's a matter of our will, and it's the basic element of Christ-likeness. He said, this world will know. How will this world know that you're my disciples? How will this world know that you're my disciples? He didn't say hope. He didn't say faith. He said, this world will know you're my disciples by what? <laughs> you guessed it again, your love for one another. D.O. Moody, the great evangelist, said, Show me a church where there is love, and I will show you a church that is a power in the community. In Chicago, a few years ago, well, this was many years ago, a little boy attended a Sunday school. When his parents moved to another part of the city, the little fellow still attended the same Sunday school. Although it meant a long, tiresome walk for that little boy, a friend asked him, Why do you walk so far to go to that church? When there, you pass a bunch of other good ones along the way. The little boy replied, they may be as good for others, but not for me. Well, why not? The little boy said, because they know how to love a fellow over there. You see, let love replace duty in our church relations and our expression to the world. And the world will soon see the love of Christ. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of difficult circumstances like we're in now, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. The priority of love is one of the lessons that God is teaching us in his school of instruction. Another lesson that we are learning is the not just the priority of love, but the power of joy. To rejoice in the face of difficulties. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord when things are good. Is that what it says? Or does it say rejoice in the Lord always? First Thessalonians 5, 16 says it the same way. Rejoice Always. Are you rejoicing? Or are you mully grubbing? Are you down in the dumps? Do you, are you rejoicing? See, rejoicing is a choice. We talked about this Wednesday night. Choose joy. It is an act of the will. What happens, and sadly enough, is that many Christians let their emotions rule their spirit instead of letting their will under the power of the Holy Spirit, rule. He said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Don't let your emotions rule your heart. 
Let Christ rule your heart. And you say, and some might say, well, you know, I can't help how I feel. No, you can't help it at first, but you can help how long you stay there. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in the dumps. You don't have to stay discouraged. You don't have to stay uh, fearful or afraid or, or whatever it is you feel. You can choose joy. Now, joy is not happiness. You may not be happy about what's going on. I'm not happy about it either. I'm very unhappy about not having this room filled with people. I'm very unhappy about not being able to shake hands and hug people and communicate face to face, breathe the same air that they're breathing. That doesn't make me happy. But there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is, is rooted in the happenings or the circumstances around me. Well, around me, things aren't so good. But within me, things are awesome. I have the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of my heart. And he sits on the throne of the universe. And he's in control of all things. And before he was on the throne, he was on the cross who shed his blood for my sin. And after he was on the cross, he went in the grave. And from the grave, he arose. He's a victor. We have many reasons to rejoice. Because of that, I've been forgiven of all of my sin. I stand clean and pure and righteous in the eyes of God. Not because I'm a preacher. Not because I'm good. But because of him. By nature, I'm a sinful, wicked human being, just as everybody else is. But I stand before God righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What greater blessing could there be? What greater reason could there be to rejoice than that? How can I rejoice? I can count my blessings. And I just recounted one of the greatest. And I asked you Wednesday night to, to name and to share with us some of the unexpected blessings that you have encountered from this experience. And many of you commented about multitude of different things, which mainly centered around more time with your family. Wow. Maybe that's something God wants us to do. Maybe we have taken for granted by running here and running there all over the place with all these different activities. Maybe God has wanted to slow us down to be able to focus on what really is important and to count our blessings of what's really important. Not the trophies in our trophy case for this game or that game or that, whatever it is, but but what has God done for us and what is God doing? How about considering all that we take for granted? Most of you, like me, took for granted the fact that we could come here every single Sunday and gather without worry. And now the last two weeks, we've been unable to. We haven't been hindered it's in the sense of commanded or outlawed to gather together. It's been asked of us not to meet together to slow the spread of this virus. We're participating with our community and with our authorities and, and as the body of Christ doing what we can. So we haven't been commanded, but it certainly has reminded me that we take so much for granted. When some treat church attendance as a convenience... Well, I'll go if I don't have anything better to do. Or I'll go when I, when, when I feel like going or when I want to go. I think about our brothers and sisters in other countries. They don't have the privilege when they're under 
uh, communist rule or when Christianity is outlawed and they can't meet together legally. The way we're meeting now, if they have that opportunity, that's the only way they can meet unless they hide in secret. And if they're caught, they're arrested, tortured, maybe even killed. See, we take that freedom for granted here, and this has taught me the lesson that we need to stop taking those things for granted, and we need to gather as often as we possibly can. When the, when the quarantine or whatever you want to call it is lifted and we're able to gather, this place ought to be packed three times over. But I wonder, will it? I wonder. You see, there's enough members of Dawson Street Baptist Church to pack this place out three times over. But I wonder if that would happen. But we've been taking these kinds of things for granted, and that's not the response that God's people ought to be having. We ought to be filled with joy in these times and, and, and count the blessings that we have. As a third century man was anticipating death, he, he penned these last words to a friend. He said this, It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure in this sinful world. They are despised and persecuted, but they don't care. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world, and these people are Christians, and I am one of them. You see, that ought to be our response in these challenging times. We can have joy. The power of joy is that in the midst of all this, it brings hope. It cancels anxiety and worry and fear and all other of these negative emotions. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is an inward state of being for the one who is secure in his relationship with Jesus Christ and at peace with God. We can have joy. That joy needs to be manifested in how we express ourselves during this time. Not griping and complaining and criticizing every little thing. Listen, we're all in brand new territory. None of us have been here before. We don't really know what we're doing. We're trying our best as this whole community is to reach out and to serve and help people. Let's, let's learn in God's school of instruction the power of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say, rejoice. Church of God, rejoice. People of God, rejoice. He's given us enough reason to rejoice and stop looking at this way. Oh, yeah, you'll get discouraged looking this way, but you'll always be encouraged looking this way. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your heads. Be encouraged. God's still on the throne. I also am learning in God's school of instruction the presence of peace. I'm not going to spend a long time talking about peace. We did Wednesday night. But to remind you, Jesus said, I called it the presence of peace because peace is present. It's here. You say, well, I'm not experiencing peace. Well, it's because you're not accessing it. You're letting your emotions rule you. Peace is here. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, 27. My peace I leave with you. He left it here. It's here. I, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. The presence of peace is here because the Prince of Peace is here. Jesus Christ, where is he? Well, he's here, but he's also here. And if you're not having peace, 
It's interesting why you don't have peace if you don't. The Prince of Peace lives here. You should be experiencing his peace. John 16, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Expect it. He said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. How do we have peace? We have it in Christ. Not in this world. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. In the world. We're in the world, right? Right. So guess what we have? Tribulation. Expect it. Jesus didn't hide that from us. In this world, you will have trouble. But in me, what do we have? Peace. In him, what do we have? Victory. I've overcome the world. You see, safety consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of Jesus. Peace that Jesus gives, not the absence of trouble, but rather the confidence that he is there with you always. Jesus is with you. Church of Jesus Christ, he is with you. This virus, this separation, this separation anxiety that we're having. You're not separated from him. He will never leave you or forsake you. Long ago, you've heard this story before. I've used it before, but I think it's appropriate here. A man sought the perfect picture of peace. He couldn't find one that satisfied him, so he announced a contest to produce this masterpiece. So the challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings began to arrive far and wide. Finally, the great day of revelation arrived. The judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another while the viewers clapped and cheered. The tensions grew. Finally, only two pictures remained. Which one would this man choose? As the judge pulled the cover from one, a hush fell over the crowd. A mirror-smooth lake reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush of the evening sky. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Surely this was the winner. The man with the vision uncovered the second painting himself, and the crowd gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down a rocky precipice. The crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. In the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters, as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. A little bird had built a nest in the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings covering her little ones, she manifested peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. That's the kind of peace that Jesus brings. That's the kind of peace when his people start exhibiting that that makes the world take notice. Is that what they're seeing from us? Philippians 4.11 Paul said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, 
to be content. That verse brings on whole new meaning for me in, these, in this context. Can I be content? 1 Timothy 6, 8. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Am I at peace in my present circumstances? Am I exhibiting the spirit of peace to the people that see me and hear me talk? The ones who know me best, my family. Love, the power of love, the priority of love, the power of joy, the presence of peace. And one more I want to share with you, lesson that I'm learning is the prescription of patience. If the doctor needs to prescribe anything, I know some of you are wanting to finish that sentence. It would be a vaccination for COVID-19. I am praying for that. I'm praying for an eradication of this, this matter. But even more than that, I'm praying for God's purposes to be accomplished. And he's not going to turn it off until he's finished. Therefore, I need patience. You need patience. If the doctor needs to prescribe anything, it needs to be patience. The great physician certainly is prescribing to his people patience. Funny thing about a prescription, though, is that the doctor can prescribe it, but the patient has to have the will to take it to the drugstore, and the pharmacist has to fill it. Then the patient has to go get the prescription, take it home, and then he has to choose to take it. So God has prescribed patience for us. The question is, is am I taking it? James said it like this in James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. I've got to let patience do its job. I've got to take the prescription of patience. You see, a lot of people are not afraid of this. I'm not afraid. But some people are angry about this. Angry because their life has been disrupted. Because they can't go where they used to could go. They can't do what they want to do. They've been cut off from people. They have been laid off from their job. I had that response. My first response to this was anger. I will tell you a personal story. When our Tana and I's fourth grandchild was being born... Our son Joshua and daughter-in-law Marianne were having their baby here at Archbold Hospital. Nobody could be up there with them. They did it by themselves. That made me mad. Because that's not how we got to do it with everybody else, all of our other kids. And I responded in an angry way not publicly, but to my family. Not angry at them, but just angry at the situation. I thought it was ridiculous. I was mad. I said things that I probably shouldn't have said because it came from a, 
a point of not understanding, thinking all this was getting blown out of proportion. I couldn't even go up there and be with my son and my daughter-in-law while my fourth grandchild, Ellie Kate, was being born. But then when it came my turn to have to make some tough calls, it changed my perspective. God showed me how impatient I had been. You see, patience is the ability to suffer long. In fact, that's what the King James and the New King James Version calls this word, patience, long-suffering. Remember, we read it in 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long, love is patient. Somebody once defined patience as accepting a difficult situation without giving God a deadline for removing it. Let me say that again. Patience is accepting a difficult situation without giving God a deadline to remove it. I've given God a deadline, so to speak. We all want to. God, you got to get this away from us. you got to remove it now, as quickly as possible. Certainly we're praying that, but in the meantime, we have to have patience. We've got to take the prescription of patience. Colossians 1.11 says it like this, that we need to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. In other words, we're patient not gritting our teeth. We're patient not trying to squelch our anger, but we're exhibiting genuine spirit-filled patience. We need to let patience have its perfect work. Hebrews 12.1 tells us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is about all these people of faith who lived in hard, difficult circumstances but triumphed. And we're, we're surrounded by them even as we are gathered here online. We're surrounded by, and no doubt perhaps God is letting them see how our faith is being unfolded and how our demonstration of, of love and worship for God and others is, is, being un, is unfolding down here. He says, therefore, seeing that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. You know, that's what we've had to do this last two weeks. We've had to lay aside every weight. We have been forced to. God says, if you won't do it on your own, I will force you to lay aside every weight. And the sin, he said, which so easily ensnares us so that we can run with endurance, with patience, the race that is set before us. We've gotten so distracted with the weight of this world that God has shown us that we've got to shed this weight so we can run the race and compete as an athlete. We ought to, we, we've gotten so weighed down with the things of the world, we can't do the things God's called us to do. And I hope that this is kind of like a reset button. That God's pressing reset for his people. Hey, folks, you don't need all these things that you have. You don't need to be doing all these things that you're doing. It's taking you away from the race. It's taking you away from spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're spending money on things you ought not be spending money on. We need to lay aside the weight and run the race with patience. One of our deacons pointed out, how Israel was led or, or brought into captivity against their will into Babylon. 
And think about it, when that happened, all their worship ceased. Their temple was destroyed. Their religious rites were no longer carried out. They couldn't make their sacrifices. They couldn't worship together like they were accustomed to worshiping for 70 years. Why? Because of their sin and their idolatry. And God pressed a 70-year reset button. Bing! What if that's what God's doing now? In the meantime, we must walk in the power of God's Spirit. It is God's Spirit who gives us the long-suffering and the patience to wait on the Lord. Isaiah 25 verse 9 says, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him, and we will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Oh, and here's a verse we quote quite often, but God is bringing it to a new perspective in these days. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We need to trust that God knows what he's doing, that his purposes will be accomplished, and we, his people, must be patient. During this time, God is working. God is at work. God is not dead. God has not been dethroned. He is busy working, and he's going to work through his people, and we must be patient. Imagine this. How many more people are being reached with the gospel because of this virus? You know, I read that Uh, this week that more churches are going online with their services than ever before. Some churches didn't even have that capability. Thank God. God gave us the insight and the desire to have this capacity up and running as of last year. He knew what was coming, but more churches are doing this than ever before. That is more gospel, more Jesus, more Bible is going out over the internet than ever before. Wow. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? God's purposes are being fulfilled. One of my fellow pastors in Thomasville made this observation on Facebook. The church is never closed. Congregations may not meet in their buildings, but Christian, you are the house of God. If you're a believer and you got up this morning, the church is still open. Hallelujah! The church is still open. The priority of love, the power of joy, the presence of peace, the prescription of patience. Do you recognize these four things? Love, joy, peace, patience. What are those? Fruits of the Spirit. You see, we can't love, joy, peace, pain. We can't have those things. We can't operate that way without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 16, 14, he said, The Holy Spirit will glorify me. And when the fruit of the Spirit is evident in God's people, we are glorifying Jesus Christ. When they see love from his people, when they see joy from his people, when they see God's people at peace in stormy times, when they see God's people patient, They will see Jesus, and they will be drawn to him. 
We're giving evidence that we're his followers, bringing glory to God by the way we respond during these times. What a powerful witness it is to this world when they see that we're going through the same thing they're going through, but we're doing it with a completely different attitude and reaction. But if they see that, it's, it's, that we're doing it the same way they're doing it, there's no witness there. There's no attraction there. There's no appeal there. There has to be in the believers of God, the followers of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit manifested. That's what will be attracting to them. Is that what they're seeing? That's what they need to see. Those are the lessons God's teaching me, personally teaching me the priority of love, the power of joy, the presence of his peace, and the prescription of patience. Love, joy, peace, patience. My friends, there are some of you here today who are watching, listening. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're walking a guilty distance from him. But maybe you feel in these days a tug, a pull on your heart. And you know these are things you need in your life. You want to feel love. You need joy. Much of your life has been wrecked and ruined. You lack joy. Peace. You haven't had real peace. The ability just to lay down your head at night and, and go to sleep and sw- sleep sweetly without worry, without fear, without care. Not, one, not worried about waking up the next day or not waking up. You see, real peace is peace with God. Knowing that you're at peace with Him, that your sins are forgiven. Some of you need that. And patience. You see, those things come through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have those things. Those things can be yours if you'll trust Him. If you'll give your life to Him. I want us to pray. And I want believers to pray along the lines we've spoken today. Here's what I want believers to ask. Oh God, first of all, you may have to start where I started. God, forgive me. Forgive me for not showing the priority of love. For not being joyful. But for griping and complaining not being grateful, not counting my blessings. God, I need your peace. Forgive me for being anxious and worried and afraid and being impatient and angry. Christians, you may need to start with confession and asking forgiveness. And then ask God, Father, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit today. I would ask that every day. Fill me afresh. The Holy Spirit lives within every believer. He's never going to move out. But the filling has to do with the experiencing and the releasing of his power through your life. Ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit. Fill me fresh this morning, today. Manifest. Produce your fruit in my life to a watching world. You say the world's not watching. Yeah, they are. They're watching. So that I can be a witness for you. And glorify Christ.
And if you're here this morning without Christ or you're walking a guilty distance from him, your prayer needs to be, Lord Jesus, I lay down my life for you. You laid yours down for me. I lay down mine for you. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Save me. And give me this love, this joy, this peace, this patience that I need. Not just for these times, but for the rest of my life and throughout eternity. Let's pray together. You pray right now.